The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. And they're off! Welcome to Winning Ponies with Ed Meyer. With the weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, Ed Meyer. And good evening and welcome to Winning Ponies. I'm Ed Meyer. There we go. Kick on that music. And welcome to Winning Ponies. I'm Ed Meyer. Thank you for tuning in each and every Thursday talking about the Sport of Kings. Preakness 134 is complete and girl power rules. We'll be talking about that a little later on in the hour. Big weekend at Pimlico and Old Hilltop. We will completely talk about all the undercard races. There was a lot of value to be had. That's where you should have been checking in with winning ponies and dialing up. And There's a few big ones out there hanging on the vine, but you have to check them out for yourself. You can dig it up at winningponies.com. Take a look at the Biggin archives. I think they're pretty proud of it because they go back a year, and they should be, because they are hustling. What's happening tonight? We're going to recap last week, as we always do, Preakness 134, etc. Talking about this week, our Biggins and how much you should have made, and we know you did. News from the world, world, wide, 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 wide world of racing. Loving that news. That's what keeps us up to date, and that's what keeps us up to speed. Our special guest this week, award-winning columnist from the Courier-Journal in Louisville, Kentucky, Ms. Jenny Reese, giving insight to the weekend's events at the Preakness. Incredible handicapper. Jenny knows her game. Sports writers, horse racing in particular, writers, columnists, are falling by the wayside. And that just doesn't mean they're just quitting and hanging up their, their tack. Actually, a lot, of, a lot of cuts in the last year or so especially, you've, you've seen a lot of great riders and quite an award winner, and we're very lucky to have Jenny Reese on us, with us today. Uh, you know, from the Courier-Journal, I mean, that speaks volumes. That's in Louisville, Kentucky. I think you're going to enjoy that, so you're going to want to stay tuned. That's our middle segment. But before we get started... You heard me talking about the big bucks bonanza last week on horse player qualify. Well, I finished a decent 13th. I know, no cigar, but a good time indeed. 13th isn't bad. At one time I was 9th. I was, felt like I could move up, and I ran 2nd in the last race. Dial them up at horseplayerqualify.com as they have this weekend the Horse Player World Series Contest, May 23rd. And, yep. I'm going to jump in. You can better believe it. Be sure to call my man Kevin at one 800 and tell him Ed from Winning Pony sent you. That is horseplayerqualified.com. That's the only place I play. I really love it. It's a whole lot of fun. You don't have to leave your house 
And if the boss is not watching, you can do it from work. Let's recap what's happened in last week. I think if, uh, if you were under a stone, you missed out a little bit. A little race, second jewel of the Triple Crown, took place Preakness 134. Mike Smith couldn't get mine that bird over to the rail like Calvin Burrell did, but mine that bird couldn't catch Rachel Alexander from the outside, and that was the story of Saturday's $1.1 million Preakness stakes. Mine that bird, the Kentucky Derby winner, trailed the field early in the Preakness, just as he had done two weeks early at Churchill Downs, but this time the rail didn't open up as it did in the Derby. Mine that board was bird was 4-7 wide. When I say board, because I think he should have been played off the board. I was all about the Philly, to be very honest with you. Mind that bird was underneath him second and third in my tries, exactus and, and superfectus, probably the same as yours. We weren't believers at that point. At least I wasn't. But mind that board was bird was 4-7 wide to find running room, and by that time Smith got him going, it was too late. All the while that was going on, Rachel Alexander, the Philly, was setting a pressure lead and going a little faster than jockey Calvin Burrell and trainer Steve Asmussen would have liked. Starting from the outside post position, post position 13, Burrell had no choice but to get the Kentucky Oaks winner going quickly to establish position before the first turn. When they broke, they were coming down the lane. They were kind of waiting to see what she would do. She saw no pace, and she said, See you, boys. I'll drive from here. At the end, as everyone at Pilmy going expected, it came down to the question, can the Derby winner catch the Oaks winner? The answer this time, anyway, no. But mind that bird and third-place finisher, Muskie Man, were gaining on Rachel Alexandra in the final yards, and the Super Phillies' margin of victory was a mere one length, a far cry from the 20 and a quarter lengths, which she won the Oaks. The scenario would seem to favor mind that bird, should the two feet, should they meet in this big feat of the final jewel of the Triple Crown? Have a lot, a lot of thoughts on that. We're going to ask Miss Jenny Reese, see what she thinks. Because I think she's got her ear to the stone. She was at the Preakness. She covers, she blogs, she writes. We're going to check in with Jenny Reese in a little while. We're going to see what she's got to say about that. I'm going to defer to the higher power. Burrell, who switched from the Derby winner to Ryder, said Rachel Alexander wasn't handling the Pimlico track well at all. And he noted the pace scenario worked against her. He repeated what he said at the Oaks. This is the best horse I've ever rode. Now remember, he's ridden two Derby winners, and now he's ridden Rachel. I was concerned about how fast the second quarter was run, as Buson said. The first quarter went in 23 flat, the second a half and 46 and 3. She was a little more forwardly placed than she hoped she'd be. Then Rachel Alexander gave the boys another chance in a mile and a half Belmont. I don't know because mind that bird, Sire won that race. Decision will be made, says owner Jess Jackson. We're going to see after her condition, see after her next workout. This is coming down to it. I'm really not one to kind of throw it out there and say, hey, here's my opinion, but I'm going to throw it out there this time. She tore the girls up, and it was a fine crop of females this year. She took on the best of what the three-year-old boys had to offer. What more is there to prove? That mile and a half is a grueling pace. They do not come from downtown out of it. 
you can bet there's going to be rabbits and stalkers. They're going to press this gal. I think she's accomplished so much. And mind that bird, his sire actually won the Belmont and truly believe, and you have to follow with your heart and most importantly your wallet, that bloodlines mean a lot in these Triple Crown races. Speaking about that, Mike Smith was kind of chattering on a little bit early. But now Mike Smith won't ride Mind That Bird in the Belmont. Kentucky winner Mind That Bird is in need yet of another jockey. If you're listening, throw in your resume. Give him a call. Mike Smith, who rode the gelding to his second-place finish in Saturday's Preakness Stakes, won't ride him in the Belmont on June 6th because of a previous commitment. Smith is already set to ride Madeo in the $300,000 Charlie Whittingham Memorial Handicap at Hollywood Park that day. Remember that name, Madeo, because if he's not going to ride in the Belmont, you better hammer with both hands, better early and better often, at Hollywood Park that day. The Hall of Fame rider is sticking with Madeo out of his loyalty to owners Jerry and Ann Moss, I like that, and trainer John Sheriffs. Together they won the 2005 Kentucky Derby on Giacomo, who, like mind that bird, was a 50-to-1 long shot. It was something that was already done beforehand, and it's not going to change, Smith told the Associated Press by phone on Monday. They're my number one and no one else, and I would have been, would have been nice if the timing was different, but I have no regrets whatsoever. You know what? Kudos to Mike Smith. He is sticking with his guns, and he's actually just following up. And you know what? I have nothing but full respect for that. It's got to be a hard decision. I mean, it's easy for us to sit here and actually say, well, you know, I'd ride, or hey, yeah, you know, I do this or that. But you know what? Mike Smith's been in the business. I can actually remember when he came from Canterbury Park, and he was riding a Turfway Park, and how good of a rider he looked at a very, very young age. Let's take a look at some biggins. Let's go to Friday, May 15th. 125 total biggins lighting up the house. Golden Gate was the winner. Race number five, super high five. $9,051.80. Arlington right behind with a place pick nine, $8,871.40 cents. Not bad for the predictions. you got to dial these guys up. I'm telling you what, they're holding their own. On Saturday, May 16th, there was 155 total biggins leading the pack. Charlestown race number three, Superfecta, 11925 How much would you lift the clerk on that one? Don't tell me the 80 cents. Come on, you got to dig in deep. Sunday, May 17th, 106 total biggins leading the crowd. Louisiana Downs, race number one, a superfecta key. Hold on to your hats, 38,425.80. Not a bad day's work for winning ponies. Monday, May 18th, 65 total biggins leading the pack. Prairie Meadows, six through nine races, a pick four, 4,792 even. Not a bad day at the office. Tuesday, May 29th, 44 total biggins. Prairie Meadows, a pick four. Race of 629, 3,440.60. Wednesday, 30 total biggins on May 20th. Leading the pack, Charlie Town. Race number nine, a superfecta key, 12,261 even. And then rounding out the field, Thursday, May 21st. I think it's today. 53 total biggins. River Downs, race 14. Superfecta key, 8,787.80. That's where I work. That's where I love it. And, yes, I saw the race. It was huge. They blew the 3-5 to five favorite right off the board. So there, you've heard some biggins. You've got a recap. 
if you were living under a rock, you've got to recap real quick of what was happening. And as I said before, we have Miss Jenny Reese from the Courier-Journal. She is holding. And I'm going to defer to the higher power, the greater power, handicapper extraordinaire. But I want to, I want to read you something really quick. It was by Jay Crowley from ESPN.com. And it was talking about his $6 day at the races. And basically, he, he comes to it as saying, all winners have value, but all idiots have excuses. No kidding on that one. The point of writing this is to suggest that perhaps more can be made of your successful wagers. Can't reach in even deeper than that. I love that quote. Dick Cronley, get quote of the week. It is time to head up to our first break here on Winning Ponies. When we return, we're going to be honored to have on columnist, blogger, handicapper extraordinaire, and one of racing's good gals. This is Jenny Reese from Louisville. Her journal. So stay tuned for more winning ponies. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Beauty, freedom, country, family. They're the values that make America strong and what our armed forces are fighting to defend. While many talk about these ideals without action, they are just empty words. If you think America's military families deserve more, log on to thanksusa.org. It's a great way to thank our troops and give military families the gift of education. Thanksusa.org. Scholarships for America's military families. You can make a difference. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with WinningPonies.com, the home of Horstradamus, handicapper extraordinaire with the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry, let WinningPonies.com make some money for you. The opening kickoff is a beauty. It's a fly ball deep right field. From high school to the pros, we, we cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, Ed Meyer. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with Ed or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to ed at winningponies.com. Now back to Winning Ponies with Ed Meyer. And welcome back once again to Winning Ponies. I'm Ed Meyer. It is during this segment, each and every week, that Winning Ponies is honored to have on as their special guest, and we really have a boomer of a special guest this weekend. And joining in this week is columnist, handicapper, and award-winning writer for the Courier-Journal, Ms. Jenny Reese. Good evening, Jenny. How are you? I'm just doing great, Ed. Well, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule and, and, and joining in with us here on Winning Ponies. A lot of people, they've, they've really been, you know, uh, reading your works online. If, 
you know, because, uh, you know, it is the Internet, so, you know, they've probably been picking you up online or on the Pollock Report, anywhere that, you know, you blog. Jenny, can you give our listeners a little bio about yourself and how you caught the bug of racing? Well, I see, I grew up in Lexington, and back then, uh, this would have been in the uh, early 70s when I was in high school. It was a little easier to cut class than it <laughs> yes. is now. And that's what you did when Keeneland was going on. And so, I mean, I just liked it from that standpoint. Didn't think I would make my uh, livelihood in it. Uh, but I did want to be a sports writer and went to Indiana University and um, worked in upstate uh, New York for a couple of years in Rochester and then came back to the career in the sports department as a copy editor and general assignment. And uh, the beat came open in um, Let's see, that would have been the fall of 83. I covered my first horse race. Actually, the first horse race I ever covered was at River Downs. All right. Hey, there's a postgraduate intern at the Three things happen at River Downs, don't they? Yeah, yeah, (laughs) 779. But but anyways, I just kind of fell into it, and it wasn't, you know, the assignment it is now. Uh, Back then when I started covering racing, it was just a part-time assignment. You still worked the copy desk, and you did other things, and... um, but in 1986, when the paper folded the Louisville Times and combined the two staffs of the two newspapers, the afternoon and the morning paper, then they made it a full-time. Uh, and so I was fortunate enough to be in that spot. And uh, I've written very few non-racing stories since. Uh, the, the exceptions have been when you have, like, the Ryder Cup or the PGA comes to Louisville. I'm part of the team, same as everybody in sports, is doing horse racing derby week. So, um it's really been great. I, I, you know, I thought I'd wanted to be a major league baseball writer or cover a big college like Big Ten or SEC. It kind of just fell into racing, but just it was really the break of my life. Well, the break of your life has turned out to be one of the uh, the lights of our life as far as understanding racing in the uh, in the big city of Louisville and beyond. Because I enjoy all of your blogs, as many of our listeners do. Your writing, and you know, you're you've won some awards along the way. Yeah, I've been fortunate enough. I've uh, won a couple of Clips Awards, and then this past year I was part of the team that the Career Journal won, actually for the um, online category. Well, it's online slash audio um, and radio. Uh, multimedia, I think is what they call it, for a, huh? a package of stories we did on um, <laughs> catastrophic breakdowns in horses and in the wake of eight bells and what all was being done. And, and I was sort of on the research, you know, looking at that part of it as far as, you know, what things are out there and uh, why horses break down and everything. And, um, you know, the thing about that was it was actually a lot of hope. Now the economy has kind of tanked since then, but there's a lot of cutting-edge research that's very close to making some really, I think, fundamental changes in how horses, uh, in the detection of, what does you know, people talk about the, uh, the classic misstep. Well, often I think there is... A maybe a micro fracture or something even like whatever the smallest you could have, but there's no clinical, there's no way for somebody with an eye to see that. But there's maybe they're working on some things with like blood markers and just really cool, almost sci-fi stuff that very exciting. So I mean, I really came away with with that with some optimism. Uh, the keys all getting research money, but that's a really long-winded answer to your question. <laughs> no, no, and you know what? I, I think it's I think it's very thorough and, and it's very informative. And, you know, this is a question I, I, that I just jotted down just a couple of quickies, and, and actually this came to mind. And when you made mention of being a part of the team, it seems like each and every day sports riders, especially thoroughbred racing, many great, great professionals are falling by the wayside. Oh, my goodness. Um, 
you know, there's people that have said, oh, you're the only full-time racing writer left, and I don't think for a mainstream newspaper. That's not quite true. There's, you know, a couple in New York, um, but there's not many, that's for sure. When I first started covering racing, you know, both the Boston papers and the both Baltimore, because <laughs> there were two Baltimore papers then, and you know, South Florida and California and uh, Chicago all had full-time racing riders, and golly, I, those cities I mentioned, I don't think there's a one that still has. Maybe Art Wilson, who writes for the L.A. Daily News group of newspapers in, out in California, he might be full-time, but, boy, the L.A. Times doesn't have a full-time racing ride. The Chicago papers don't. The South Florida papers don't. The Boston papers, um, you know, often use just stringers. Uh, I mean, including, like, the, the guy for the Boston Herald, their former racing rider who took a buyout does some racing for him. He's very knowledgeable. But it is really, it's, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate that I'm in a market where they really feel the Courier-Journal, and, and kudos here to the management of the Courier-Journal, uh, starting with our executive editor, who I have the good fortune of, the fact that he grew up in Hot Springs, Arkansas, and used to help cover that meat. So that, believe me, that makes a big difference. I mean, I think you know from Cincinnati, if, if you don't have sports editors or sports editors' bosses that, uh, are, you know, understand racing and stuff, it can be very tough in those markets. The CJ is an incredible work as far as racing is concerned. You know, our papers uh, in the northern Kentucky, Cincinnati area are a little lacking, and I read at least three newspapers a day uh, from around, and, and I always have the CJ uh, in hand and or online because it's just so informative. I was reading about a gentleman, I believe, that wrote for the Saratogian. Did I have Thank that you. directly? Please. There's a couple of them that write for the Saratogian. Yes, and I believe he was uh, he was just let go of his position. So I said, no, I didn't know this. <laughs> and it just actually it caught my eye. I was like, again, and 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 I keep and I keep drawing that. But you know what? I'm glad there's I'm glad there's professionals that are holding down holding down. They say Lexington is the horse racing capital, but when you actually think about racing, especially in Kentucky, the Twin Spires and Louisville, it always comes to your, your mind's eye. And, and I'm glad to see that uh, you're, you're still there and, and, and really oh great stuff. And, and I know <laughs> you, you are as well. We, we, we keep our fingers crossed in racing, don't we? Yeah, yeah. Hey, I'll say this compared to having grown up in Lexington and living in Louisville since um, 81. This is how I compare the two racing things. In Lexington, a lot of people go to the races because it's a thing to do. In Louisville, they go to the races because they want to go. They want to gamble on. They want to gamble on horses, and it's really sort of a different approach. And and both are great. You know, Keeneland's terrific with, you know, just gosh, you wouldn't want those demographics that they get. What race check? Mm-hmm. And it's just so jazzed up all the time. All the college kids and everything. I I told Nick Nicholson, the president of Keeneland, once. I said, I, I want to do something on. You know, your per capita can't be the highest in the country because you get all those college kids out there. Not you know, betting. They're not betting that much. I said, but I bet you're the highest beer per capita. <laughs> I said, you know, we could figure that out. You know, the concessionaires. And we, and I've never pursued it that far, but I've always said, I bet they do. I, I was just going to say, okay, they might have a maybe an $18 per capita player, but they've got about at least 4.6 beers per person. And uh, yes. you see more blue blazers and khakis, but, but what a good time. Jenny, I, I wanted to ask you, with all the greats in racing, I know this is really hard. It's like picking a needle out of a haystack. Who are some of your most or one of your most memorable, colorful interviews? Uh, well, there's a couple of them. One was, this is one of my greatest hustle jobs, maybe. I got a trip over to France for the Prix d'Omnium when Arazi was going to be his only 
uh, he was, you know, the two-year-old champion come over from France for the Breeders' Cup, and he was going uh, to race one time before the Kentucky Derby. And uh, that's when Delta Airlines had a marketing um, office in Louisville, and working through them, they made it available to any turf rider who was going over there to cover the race. They'd give you the cheapest airfare going. Whether you really like, if you didn't stay over Saturday night, you could still get that cheapest fare. So, oh, so I ended up getting a five hundred dollar ticket round trip from Louisville to Paris and covered. Wow! The, um, but on the way over there, um, Francois Boutin was the trainer, and his wife was Lucy Young Boutin, W. T. Young's daughter. And this is back before email and stuff. But through sending faxes and stuff, she you know she obviously um, having you know been around the Lexington a lot, knew about the Courier Journal and everything, and arranged to, for us to. Uh, myself and our translator, a young woman uh, that the Associated Press hooked up for me, that we went out there and we were going to interview Francois Bouton, who knew, you know, knew some English and he was married to an American, but he wasn't really comfortable, I guess, in like interview situations speaking it. So the translator, I'd tell her what I'd want to ask, and she'd ask this question in French, and, in French, and he'd answer in French, and I was taping the whole thing. And I didn't really know what he was saying. She didn't really write then and there repeat everything he said. Just So we go back that night and trans to her apartment in, in Paris and, and translate it. And he'd given me his life story, <laughs> <laughs> which I, was very interesting. And it would have been nice to ask some follow-up questions, but I didn't know what he was saying at the time. So that was interesting. Another one I would say is uh, Bill Hartack. I t- spent forever trying to get this interview. Wanted to do one on – he had it had been like um, – either 20 or 25 years since his fifth of the five Derby winners, and we were going to do it for a big feature before the Derby. And go, and he said, well, there's two subjects I don't want to talk about. I said, you know, I want to talk about your five Derby winners. And then just growing up, because he you know, grew up like in the Pennsylvania coal fields and stuff. He goes, well, those are the two questions, subjects I don't want to talk about, because I'm going to write a book. Like he <laughs> thought if there was a story, that would keep people from reading the book instead of thinking maybe it would make people more interested. So... What publicity? If only I, 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 you know, I can't get this here. I can't, and I said, well, Mr. Hartek, could I take you out to dinner? I'm, I'm in New Orleans this whole time. Fortunately, we'd driven because we were you know, just staying down there. He was a steward down there. He goes, well, that'd be fine. I thought, why didn't I do this earlier? So anyways, long story short, we do this interview. My husband, um, he's a trainer. My father-in-law was a trainer who used to ride Hartek. So I'm just you know, little. He, he remembered Hartek. Hartek wouldn't have remembered him. But anyways, we go to Ruth Chris's. And they they sit at, at a you know table in the bar and stuff because I was working and everything, and I put the tape recorder on the table while we're talking because I I was afraid if I took notes he'd say don't write that down don't write that down but if you have a tape recorder people get used to it going on so I'm going through you know it's like going through a you know landmine you do not know what is going to what might set them off or something like that and um, so finally. Um, he brings up one of his derbies. So I said, okay, I just need a four more I need him to talk about, and then I'll have enough of the story no matter what else. Then, you know, he kind of knocks them off. I kind of go in another direction. He'll go one more. Finally, there's one left. His first one, the Iron Leech one. I know from reading the clips, the one question he just loathed was people asking him, do you think it's Del if Shoemaker hadn't misjudged the finish line? <laughs> so 1957. So um, I asked him, how many times do you suppose you've been asked the question? You think, well, oh, he just, you know. I said, but that's not the question I asked you. I asked you how many times. And he goes, see, you're, you're like what I don't like in reporters. You're doing, you know, you think if you keep asking enough questions, keep, get somebody talking, then eventually they'll uh, 
say what you want them to say or give you the answers. I said, guilty. I am doing exactly that. You <laughs> that's know, your that's job. Thing. So finally we got him chilled out and, and uh, avoided a few other um, um, you know, potential disasters. And this is like a two-hour you know, interview, three, maybe almost three. So <laughs> when it's over, I said, well, Mr. Hartack, how about we just go into the, um, the bar and my father-in-law and husband are there. And let me just buy you a couple drinks and, you know, off the record and stuff like that. So we were there. We closed out the place and everything. The next day I called my boss up. And I said, well, I got good news and, and bad news. I said, the good news is I got the heart attack interview. I said, the bad news is I have a $200 bar tax. <laughs> a little social lubrication. It always works. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's uh, one of my more unusual, probably the, mo- mo- the most stressful. Just And if the tape had jammed, I really would have been in trouble. But <laughs> when, And I tell you, when, when Mr. Hartack died, I um you know, got that out of our digital archives. That, in fact, we put the story online, and I would even surprise myself how good, not, not the writing and not the stuff, but, you know, how much material actually we covered in some of his answers. He was talking about how he was even saying, can you imagine what it would be like to be to where you could win five races in one day, but you would obsess on the two you lost. And he even said, can you imagine living like that? You know, no, I can't. <laughs> That had to be that had to be tremendously tough. Uh, it, it was like pulling teeth. And it sounds like he probably had an admiration for you because uh, even the, or the great John Engelhart has uh, brought it up. He said uh, Jenny's one tough cookie, and uh, she knows just how to a jab and punch softly, uh, the Velvet Hammer style. Sounds like he had a little bit of an admiration if he kind of broke well, open and talked to you a bit. I don't know, but I do have something that I keep telling myself when I do these interviews, and uh, I mean sometimes I just quake it in. You're quaking in your boots, but I say they can't kill me. They can cuss at me, they can holler at me, but they can't kill me. I love the attitude, and you know, and, and it conveys to your writing that uh, it's it's always introspective, and it, it no matter what, if it's a blog or it's a com, I always read it, and it always makes me think. Jenny, speaking about making me think, one thirty four is in the books for Preakness. Did the race shape up as you thought? No, oh, it was even better. It was better. I didn't know what to make with the filly. I thought she could either win with ease or she might be fourth. I didn't think she was going to be sixth or seventh. But I really didn't know. And, boy, she's just, she's just really terrific. And I was so happy for the Derby winner. To me, it was the, it was the best outcome possible. I know if, if it had been the other way, then you'd be looking at a triple crown. But I just thought it was really great that the filly um, – uh, it's just great to see in history. Amazing. The first Oaks winner to run in the, yes. in the uh, um, Preakness. And I was bringing that up to some. Of course, not that many of them are nominated in the first place. And um, I said, that's stunning. They go, well, you know, it's not every day that somebody comes along with $10 million and buys the horse, you know. That. But, you know, good for Jess Jackson. Uh, He's a he, sportsman. He wanted to see how she could, you know, to prove herself. I'm really, really happy for her. It is interesting that the Derby winner earned a lot more respect in, in defeat than he did in victory. And I want to tell you what, you talk about somebody who really is a natural at the role, is Chip Woolley. I mean, this guy had never been in a graded stakes race, and now he's been in two, the Derby and the Preakness. But you talk about somebody who gets it, and you talk about somebody that just innately understands you've been given this incredible gift, and there's a there's a payback as part of that. Um, you know, what can you do for the industry? And he's really been just terrific. I think some people said, well, his first, you know, the Derby in, in, in the winner's circle, his interview, he came off kind of as like a chip on his shoulder. I said, I really think the guy was in shock. 
that he that they they were talking about hoping to be sixth or better. Sixth or better was I, I told him before the preakness. I said, I hope you've raised the bar a little bit for your expectations <laughs> for this one. But but once he like he even said the next day, it's just a little tough to get your head around what happened. But once he did, you know, it's been pretty. Uh, this morning I was on the backside there, and there was these out uh, three young women that were in Lexington for a conference. They were from Ireland and two of them from Australia, and they worked in the horse industry. And they were out there, and they saw the Derby winner gallop by, and they were taking his pictures, and they were so excited. I said, well, you want to go back to the barn? And uh, a mutual friend was, you know, had introduced me to them. So anyways, that's how I was talking to these women. I said, you want to go by the barn and maybe, you know, see the Derby winner get a bath? Oh, do you think we could? <laughs> well, sure. And they were so thrilled. And Chip sat there, you know, and and um, talked to them. And they just really, I mean, it was just, you know, just spent all this time. And they just thought it was so, so great. I said, you know, this is sort of racing at its best. But he's, you know, he had the idea the day after the Derby to take the blanket of roses. And this is, to me, way too cool. And his owners agreed and one of them went with them, and they went to the Barbaro statue. Oh. And all the fans that were showing up to go to the Barbaro statue or to go to the museum or to go to, um, well, I guess it wasn't simulcasting at Churchill, but anyways, it showed up there. One by one, they gave them each a rose until the blanket was gone. They said they wanted to spread the derby around. How cool. That's really cool. That's that, somebody who gets it. You know, when, when I first saw him on TV, and, and I knew he had to be in great pain. What, what was he, about a half mile on crutches? Oh, and, and you know he's in great pain. And, and as soon as they, you know, they, they, they plug it up and they light it up, and you know it never shows fair on TV, he came across a little bit hard, and I said, well, you know, maybe he's just a hard-edged guy, but, you know, everything that I've read since then, my attitude has changed. And, I, and it brings me... It, Brings my heart great, great joy to hear that. Uh, I believe that before he won the dirt, well, after he won the derby, he'd won two races in the year, a quarter mile and a mile and a quarter. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's a, there's a little bit of a difference there, and I love to see if you ever root for the Rocky Balboas of the racing world. We we've actually have one, and actually mine the mine bird has stepped up huge. But I have to ask you about the Philly. Does she fit the Belmont? Does she fit the distance? Does she fit the call? I think she. I think she does, but I don't know that she'll go. I just think you know. Um, you know, hearing some people talk that you know she she got a little hot in that race and stuff, but you know she's she's back training fine. Um, actually, the Belmont's the one race that that Hal Wiggins, the first trainer, was very interested in it, and I called him the day after the Derby and asked him if he had any regrets about that she wasn't in the Derby with what had happened, the 50-to-one shot win, which is turning out to be a pretty darn good 50-to-one shot. Oh, yeah. came home the fastest quarter and half mile since you got to go back to Secretariat to find faster. But anyways, he said, you know, once she won the Oaks, she goes, he goes, I didn't even give it a second thought. I was just so glad and proud of her winning the Oaks the way she did and everything. But he did say, he goes, this is Hal Wiggins. He said, if she was mine, um, I'd take a look at the Belmont. But, you know, he wasn't talking about going in the Preakness. He said, but you know what? It's not going to happen. And then, bam, three days later, she sold. Ooh. And, um, and I called him after the Preakness, Hal, and you talk about somebody, you know, very classy um, before and after. And uh, he said, I was just so, he said, I was fine. He said, I did want to watch it at home because I didn't know if I'd get emotional, but he had a horse in the last race at Churchill, maiden 30, uh, you know, back to the real world. And um, so he had to be at the check. But he said, it, it, it was fine. I was 
just really proud of her and proud of Calvin. And um, but just the idea of her, sort of her running style, actually, I think could might and her pedigree. You know, her sire was was second in the, uh, you know, just beating a zap in the in the Belmont. But I don't know when you put the Derby, and that's the first time she's really had to lay it on the line and stuff. I mean, and boy, did she ever hard on her. So I. It could go either way, but I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if she doesn't go in the in the Belmont. It'd be it'd be I'd like to see it, but um, you know I certainly wouldn't second guess those people either way if they wanted to do it and if they didn't want to do it. And I, I just one more thing I'd want to say on this: the people, including a colleague of mine, that and I don't blame them for writing this. I understand where they're coming from, but we're saying, you know, don't put her in the Preakness because if anything happens to her, it's going to be. So much worse than, you know, the backlash from the industry with, with eight bells. And I thought, you know, but if you're going to think that all the time, um, then you, you can't have horse, you cannot have horse racing. You know, you right. can't just constantly live in fear that something's going to happen. And there's certainly been, you know, many, you know, rags to riches and, and of course, winning colors in the derby and stuff. And now this filly got to prove how much more is she in racing or now having one, one, um, the Preakness, and the other thing I would want to say is that um, the ratings show there wasn't this. As far as the general public, it wasn't like they they all were uh, you know, turned off by racing with what happened with Eight Bells. The ratings were very good, and um, even with you know fifty one shot having won the Derby, the Preakness ratings, and, and that's kudos to to NBC too. Mm-hmm. That I think worked really hard. Tremendous job. Yeah, and somebody made a comment to me. This was in the wake of last year's Derby when I was talking about the sort of the marketing, you know, impact on it uh, with having you know eight bells on national television and the first the first reported recorded death in the history of the Derby. You know, pretty good track record there, I'd say. Mm-hmm. But this guy, he's a consultant to um, the Mohegan Sun in, in um, Connecticut, and he said, you know. I think the thing that really is, uh, is the bigger problem as far as the marketing problem for, for people that are, are fans is when they can't get their bets down. That's when you had the horseman's dispute oh. over the Twin Spires. And even then, even though you could bet the, you could bet the Derby and the Oaks, Derby Day they had um, like computer software or something like that, and thousands of people must have gotten shut out. Those are issues, real issues. And I'm not saying that the safety things, that's very important, the stuff that's done in the industry. But um, I just thought that was an interesting perspective that people can't bet. They can't get their wagers down. I know that was uh, that was close, near and dear to my heart, and I must have uh, fielded that question at least a thousand times. Where can we actually get our bet on? Uh, yeah. it, you, you write, you blog, and I've seen some on-air analysis, and I think you did a tremendous job. Do you think uh, that's going to be in your future? On air analysis, <laughs> well, I think it's a pretty limited mark. <laughs> <laughs> I think Randy Moss looks like a lifer to me. So, uh, I don't know. The thing I like about newspapers is, even if you go look like an idiot, you at least have a little bit of chance to think about it before you commit yourself. You know, you're not live um, and everything. And the great thing about um, online is you can always go back and change something too. You know, newspaper you can't. You're stuck. Uh, you say something stupid sort of forever there. But <laughs> it, it's locked really in there for you good. If you think about something in the middle of the night, three in the morning is usually when these thoughts come in your head, oh, that's what I meant to say or something. <laughs> you know, you can kind of come up with them, a follow-up. Well, 
I've enjoyed every bit of this, and I've enjoyed every piece and every column and blog and everything you write as well, as I know many of our listeners do. Jenny, on behalf of Winning Ponies, I'd like to thank you for your time and, and, and taking time out to be with us. Best of luck in racing, and we're going to be following your column blogs and everything that you do, Miss Reese. Courier-journal.com. <laughs> Put it out there again. <laughs> Jenny, th- thanks so much. All right, Ed. Happy handicapping. Yes, ma'am. That's been Jenny Reese, one fine lady in racing. Time to head out to a break. When we return, we're going to be talking some handicapping here on Winning Ponies. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Over there, over there's the water. Whoosh, whoosh. And look at all this stuff I'm standing on. It's called sand, and it's everywhere. This woman may sound silly to you and me. It's made up of little tiny pieces of rocks. Teeny little pieces of rocks. But to her two-year-old son exploring the world around him, (laughs) she makes perfect sense. How does it feel when you touch the sand? Is it warm? Uh Uh-huh. It's hard to hold in your hand, isn't it? Mm Uh-huh. Learning starts long before school does, and children are naturally curious. They want to learn, so follow their lead. Take simple, everyday moments, like sorting laundry or playing on the beach, and turn them into learning moments. Is this water? No. Very good. This is sand. Oh, (laughs) no, no, it's not food. It's sand. We don't eat sand. Turn everyday moments into learning moments. Find out how at bornlearning.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of Horstradamus, handicapper extraordinaire with the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry, let winningponies.com make some money for you. The opening kickoff is a beauty. It's a fly ball. From high school to the pros, we, we cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, Ed Meyer. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with Ed or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to ed at winningponies.com. Now back to Winning Ponies with Ed Meyer. And welcome back once again to Winning Ponies. I'm Ed Meyer. Thank you for taking time each and every Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific, to talk about the sport of kings. I sure hope you caught that last segment. It was tremendous, Miss Jenny Reese from the Courier Journal. I could have talked to her for days. She is just a ball of energy. And you can look up her blogs at couriergournal.com, her columns. She's part of all the Derby, Preakness, Belmont teams. And she kind of downplays it a bit, but she is one incredible columnist. I'm going to wrap this up into our final furlong. We're going to close it out, and we're going to keep it up because I've got some races for you for Friday and Saturday. And let's do some pure white-knuckle handicapping, handicapping for the weekend. 
Okay, on Friday, let's go to the second at Belmont. Friday's races, let's take a look at the 110. Carrot Nikki in the second at Belmont on Friday. Alan Garcia has the mound. He's winning 18% for Linda Rice. Nice New York bred daughter by Gold Token has the rail. Sported some speed last time out and was second by 11 lengths. Was heavily bet a little better, a little shorter, I should say, than 3-1. to one. But the best part about this is on May 13th at the Belmont Training Track, three furlongs flat, 36, the second best of 15 works on the day. I think this filly is rocking and rolling. Her first breakout was checked awkward at the break. Alan Garcia, that's the second race of Belmont, 10 carat Nikki, might be worth 14 carats. Then we go on to the fourth race at Belmont. It is a mile on the turf. Let's go right back to the rail with the one. Sir Hughes, Rajiv Marah for Mark Henning. Five for your two. Very nice indeed. Third start off a layoff. One of my favorites. Mark Henning wins 25% of the time, 57% of the money. This is a four-year-old colt by Proud Citizen. This damn Paradise Pond has had three starters, two winners. Made a middle move last time. Wow. What that means is had the lead and then just coughed it up a little bit. Ran second by a head, heavily bet a little better than three to one. Second time on the turf, draw the rail. Rajiv Murad, this guy is 48% in the money in the turf. That's the fourth race at Belmont, number one, Sir Hughes. Then we go to the ninth race at Arlington, another grass race. It's all about the grass, and I'll tell you what, I've been loving it, and I can't say enough about it here. It is the four in the ninth race at Arlington on Friday. Bougainville, James Graham for Ray Aguirre. Two for two in the money at Arlington Park, making making her second start off of a lap of a yielding track. Heavily bad last time out with seven wide, some late run. I think Bougainville comes rocking and rolling in the ninth race at Arlington on Friday. Then we go to Churchill Downs race number five and go right to the rail with the one Ivory Empress, Julian Layproof or Ian Wilkes. These guys team up very well together. The last 60 days. They're winning 26% together, 63% in the money. A beaten favorite, which is one of my favorite angles to play. The last two uh, uh, lines bumped at the start, impeded rival, and boxed in on the second turn. Come on, give this gal a clean trip. An ivory empress goes right to the winner's circle. Julian Lepreau, uh was aboard for the workout on the 16th of May over the slop. 48 and 1, the second best of 33. Nice indeed. And then we're going to round out our Friday plays with the eighth race at Churchill. Four and a half furlongs. Yep, that's the babies when you're talking four and a half furlongs. We're going to go to the five and that sound man, three to one. Miguel Mena aboard for D. Wayne Lucas, a $240,000 Fazig Tipton song in a prayer was the. Sire of this two-year-old runner here ran a four-and-a-half race at the Churchill Downs, but the best part about this, after running second in a beautiful race and was coming on like gangbusters, there has been two straight bullets, but they have both been in the slop. So if there's some rain there, you may want to take a look at Salmon even harder, but if it's a fast track, who knows? It's a two-year-old. You don't know what you're going to get. So that is a Churchill Downs. Those are my plays for Friday. And then I'm going to jump right into Saturday. Saturday races, we are going to go to Arlington, race number eight. Big race day at Arlington on Saturday. In the eighth race at Arlington on Saturday, 
I like the three ha-cha-cha. Orlando Mojica and Phil Sims teaming up together last 60 days, winning 25% of the time, 50% of the money. This looks like a pure poly and turf run. Running the Appalachian Stakes had the lead, made the middle move, as I call it, had the lead by a head, cost it up just a little bit, run second by a nose, 4-1 to one in the eighth race at Arlington on Saturday. Hot cha-cha, Orlando Mojica, gone. Get all you can. Ninth race at Arlington, a grade three Arlington matron handicap for $150,000. This is a pretty solid little race here. You know, it's a $150,000 grade three, which is uh, one you don't see all the time. You usually see it for a little bit more. I like the nine. It's indescribable. Kent DeSormo for Billy Mott. Last 60 days, these guys have been winning 23% of the time, 55% in the money. Exiting the double dog dare, a grade three at Keeneland over the poly. Now, if you take a look at the all-weather, eight starts, four wins, and two-thirds. So that's six for eight. Six for eight in the money. So I think we got ourselves a nice all-weather surface uh, girl here. It's a five-year-old mare by Pleasant Tap in uh, shipping up from Keeneland. And Billy Mott wins 20% with his shippers. And second time off a layoff, he's in the money 44% of the time. I like exiting the grade three double dog Daria and uh, into the Arlington Matron. I think it's going to be a little softer spot. You're going to get two to one. Kent Sleepy DeSormo is in the irons. Tenth race at Arlington on Saturday, the Hanshin Cup, one mile. I go right to the rail. Stonehouse, Perry Compton, and Joseph Broussard. I love coming off a five and three quarter length victory. Heavily bet, heavily backed, and not disappointed whatsoever. Three for five in the money on the all-weather. Three for five at Arlington. Yep, you got it. Perry Compton along the rail. Going to show some speed. Catch me if you can. This uh, five-year-old uh, son of Chester House, catch me if you can. Backing him for a mile and a sixteenth to a mile. That's the tenth at Arlington. Number one, Stone House. Then we go into the eleventh at Arlington. A mile and a sixteenth on the turf. The Arlington Classic. I like the three Giant Oak, and if you remember that name, it's because the Jockey Club uh, uh, down at uh, Churchill Downs, a Grade Two, the Risen Star, the Louisiana Derby, Illinois Derby. Big plans were made for the Son of Giants Causeway, one for one at Arlington, but now switching over to the Weeds. If you go back to October fifth. In 08 of Keeneland and run in the grade three bourbon. I'm telling you what, this son of Giants Causeway can flat out run on the weeds. So that is the 11th race at Arlington, number three, Giant Oak. On to New York we go, race number nine, the Sheep's Head Bay, a grade two event. Very nice indeed. Once again, on the weeds. I go to the three, and that's criticism. J.J. Castellano, Thomas Albatroni, last 60 days, they're winning 50% of the time, 75% in the money. Get all you can at 9 to 5. Those are my picks for the weekend, and I think that those are some very nice solid picks. I'm very pleased with uh, the weekend coming up because it really, uh, it really has me kind of chomping at the bit. Recapping what happened last weekend for our big races, you know there was some tremendous undercard activity at Pimlico, but I'm going to recap the Black-Eyed Susan. It is a mile and an eighth on the dirt, $100,000. Peyton Yoro, Terry Thompson wins by a length and a quarter for, uh, uh, for Larry Jones and pays $720. Pays $720. That is a very square price. Who, why, 
was scratched out of the Peyton Dioro was uh, was very nice indeed jumping on the hook Terry Thompson a very nice rider the favorite was Casanova move with Jose Lascano runs a very nice third but was empty in the drive so the black eyed Susan was Peyton Dioro with Terry Thompson so that's how the the weekend got kicked off on Friday so Peyton not Peyton Manning but Peyton Dioro goes right there and then 134. You got some really nice runners indeed on the undercard. And, you know, those, those races there were just kind of building up and looking pretty good. And uh, I think it all culminates. And you know what it culminates with? It culminates with the Preakness. And I'm going to pick it up here, and I'm looking at this race. It's race number 11 on the card. It's a mile and an eighth on the turf. It was the Dixie. Dixie Stakes are grade two. I started really getting into the day right here when Parading and Kent DeSormo won and paid 660. Shook McGahey for fifth stables. They've been working together for a long time, stock pace and driving. That really got my bankroll, and it really kind of got me it got me in the mind, in the mood, in the in in everything. All my juices were flowing. And then we end up with a Blackberry Preakness, a grade one, a mile and three sixteenths on the dirt, $1.1 million guarantee, breaking out of the 13-hole, the Philly Rachel Alexander Calvin Burrell made an incredible move, three-quarter time, 111 flat, wins and holds on by a length of her Mind That Bird. Mind That Bird is the real deal Holyfield, steadied at the quarter pole, seven wide gaining. Also, don't throw out Musket Man, who also steadied at the rail at the quarter and out finished. And then you want to go back to Flying Private, who was 25 to 1, steadied early in at the quarter pole. But as Jenny was saying, it's kind of a coin toss. Is Rachel Alexander going to go into the Derby? We don't know. I think she's done enough. And, and that doesn't mean she's done enough in her career by any means. She's beaten the best of the gals, she beat the best. Boys coming to Maryland in the Preakness, that mile and a half up at Big Sandy, up at Belmont, they have sweeping wide turns, and it's a long, long stretch. I mean, where are you going to go? There's no place to hide. There's rabbits or stalkers, and typically they do not come from way out of it, favoring mind that bird. It would fit possibly Rachel Alexandra, but did this race actually take a, take a little bit off of her uh, Take a little bit off the top. Does she have enough gas in the tank? You know what? I'd like to see some well-deserved rest, but I'm not about, just as Jenny brought up, I'm not about to second-guess anybody. Congratulations, Rachel Alexandra. Job well done, my girl. Well, time flies when you're talking thoroughbred racing. Plenty Ponies would like to thank this week's guest, Miss Jenny Reese, and she was terrific. And until next week, may your winners be many, and your photos be few. Good luck, everyone. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with Ed Meyer. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Network. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com.
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.